So, how was Thanksgiving? Good. Did you uh, thank God for the bountiful harvest of this earth? Did you enjoy friends and family? Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And of course, my red hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone cold fox. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. <sighs> Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the damn grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band and I'm in the front row and I'm hammered drunk. Hey Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes ma'am. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the 21.2 million dollars. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money! <laughs> So close your eyes, just close your eyes and keep them closed. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to picture the people at your Thanksgiving dinner. Now, if you were alone, I want you to picture that the people that you hoped would be at your Thanksgiving dinner. Now picture the people that used to be at your Thanksgiving dinner. Mom, dad, sisters, brothers, husband, Wife, 
ex-wife, son, daughter, addict, abuser, enabler, liar. There was a girl in my youth group in Danville, a wonderful girl. On Thanksgiving Day, her father excused himself from the table, went into the bathroom, put a gun to his head, and shot himself. My guess is that there is an awful lot of pain associated with that table. In fact, your greatest fears are associated with the people at that table. I mean, you're really not, you're really not that afraid of terrorists and mass murderers. What, what are you afraid of? What those people at that table might do or have done. And you're one of those people at that table. Why is that table so painful? Why is that table so frightening? You know, heaven is a table. It's a, it's a great banqueting table. Do, do you still want to go? Let's pray. Lord God, um, I just poked at a, at a bunch of thanksgiving and joy and sorrow and pain and fear and we need you to save us. Preach your word, Lord God, and bring salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having uh, put on the uh, breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet the equipment of the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. Today we're talking about the helmet of salvation. A helmet protects your mind the way that you, the way that you think and salvation, salvation is soterion in Greek. In Hebrew, it's actually Yahshua, Yasha or Yahshua. It can be translated deliver, rescue, help. In scripture, people get saved from all sorts of things. Egyptians, oppression, storms, sickness, D demonic uh, oppression. First Corinthians 5, Paul talks about a guy getting saved, but not from the devil with the devil. 
Okay, that's weird, but so hear me out. 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, you are to deliver this man, this guy who wouldn't repent in Corinth, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord, as if the Lord even uses the devil to save and to save from far more than just the devil. In the Gospels, angel Gabriel appears to Mary and says, you will bear a son and name him Yeshua. It means God is salvation. In English, Jesus. The angel says, you will bear a son and name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Save his people from their sins. And here's a problem. I kind of like my sins. Not sure I want to be saved from my sins. And maybe that's like the heart of sin. Sin, at the deepest level, is a refusal to love, to, to be loved and to love. It's refusing to love and remaining alone. In Romans, Paul writes that God in Christ condemned sin in the flesh. And we just read about destruction of the flesh so this guy's spirit could be saved in the day of the Lord. So what's wrong with, with my flesh? Well, like we've talked about, it's actually not very good at love. In other words, this body of mine only tastes its own turkey and mashed potatoes. It only feels its own pleasure and its own pain, except, of course, with people that I'm learning to love. So you see, I kind of enjoy my family enjoying the turkey. We're a bit like one body in that way. And, and Paul said, remember, there is one body and, and one father of all. That's what he said in Ephesians. We're, we're like one body in that way, like a, a communion. So sometimes I feel their pleasure and their pain. So, so, so you see, it can really hurt to love. And yet, refusing to love is sin. Sin is like leaving the table and eating your bread and wine all alone. Well, Jesus came to save us from our sins. And according to Paul, we're already dead in our sins. So in Romans, Paul cries out, who will deliver me from this body of death? Body of death. Well, Jesus saves us from sin, flesh, death, you know, that turns into Hades, the outer darkness, hell. He saves us from sin, flesh, death, and one more thing. The wrath of God. And so people think to themselves, are, are you saying that, that, that like God doesn't love us, that we need to be saved from God? What is this helmet of salvation? Well, in Ephesians 6, Paul is clearly quoting Isaiah 59. And, and now get this, when Isaiah mentions the helmet of salvation, I don't think he's just talking about our salvation. In fact, he's talking, I, I think, at least in a way, about, well, about somebody else's salvation. Listen closely, Isaiah 59. The Lord, Yahweh, saw that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, no ish, no husband, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. 
His own arm brought him salvation, kind of like God got saved by God. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. A helmet of literally Yahshua. Well, God saw that there was no justice and his strong arm brought him salvation. What could God possibly be saved from? What could hurt God? Well, what hurts you at Thanksgiving dinner? Because heaven is a dinner, an eternal holiday, a holy day, a, a jubilee. Who has the power to hurt you? It's not terrorists, is it? Not really. It's not really mass murderers. It's, it's the people at Thanksgiving dinner. They have power because you have given them that power, and that power is called love. I had Thanksgiving dinner with my wife and my kids. I gave my wife power to hurt me by entering into a covenant with her. And God made a covenant with you. I gave my children power to hurt me by choosing to make them, create them in my own image. You see, terrorists and mass murderers only have power to hurt my, my body, but my wife and my kids, the people that I love, have power to break my heart, just like rip my heart out of my chest and nail it to a tree. And only they have power to truly make me angry. That's called wrath. You see, if my kids commit some sin, well, I feel the pain of that sin, even though I did not commit, commit the sin. And if my kids are cursed, I'm cursed. If my kids need salvation, well, it's like I need salvation. If my bride is lost, then, well, then I feel lost because she's my body. A head needs a body. Well, it's the people I love, you see, that have power to hurt me. Because I love them so, I earnestly want them to love so and love me so. In other words, I want justice. And I need to be saved from injustice. Yahweh saw that there was no justice and his own arm brought him salvation. It's the people I love that have the power to hurt me and only they can truly make me angry and that's called wrath. You know, if a terrorist, I don't know, for some reason, calls me from Afghanistan and says, I hate you, I wish that you were dead, wouldn't hurt. <laughs> be like, that was weird, but it wouldn't hurt. And I would not be angry. I wouldn't even get angry. But if my son were to call from college and say, I hate you, Dad. I wish you were dead. Well, I could not even begin to describe the sorrow, the pain, the passion, the anger, the depth of emotion welling up within my heart. I mean, be as if he ripped my heart out of my chest and just nailed it to a tree. 
You know, I don't think that the devil has power. I don't think he has the power to nail Jesus to a tree. But you do. And you did. Jesus from the bosom of the Father. God gave you that power. Oh, he must love you a lot. Well, you see, if the people I love are not saved, I'm not saved. Even if, especially if I'm, I'm angry at them. If I'm angry at them, I cannot rest. I need salvation. I need the anger resolved in order to enter my rest. Sabbath rest. Revelation 15:1. At the seventh bowl of wrath, the wrath of God is finished. It is finished. And God rests. So you see, maybe God does need in, in some way to be saved. Because you need to be saved. You're his bride. You're his body. He needs to be saved from the pain of loving people that he's chosen to be made in his own image. He needs to be saved from his own unfaithful bride with whom he formed a, a covenant. He needs to be saved from himself because he is love. So as long as my children remain in sin, I remain in my passion. He suffers passion. Someone needs to bring Yahweh salvation because he is love and love is just. He is love and he is just. And that's really the drama of the entire Old Testament. Who's going to save Yahweh from himself? I mean, it's a bit shocking when you really see it. He loves Adam and Eve, but he said the day you eat of it, you will die. They eat of it. So, so uh, are they going to die? Because if they die, will he die? He loves them. He loves humanity, but Genesis 6, 6, it grieves his heart that he made them. So he floods the earth, but he lets one get away. It's like he can't help himself. He's addicted. He's addicted to you. He, 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 chooses, he chooses people. He chooses Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who will become Israel. And, and you see, it's just agony for Yahweh because he just longs to be with his people. But if he's with them, he's afraid he's going to destroy them. He's like a volcano in love with a snowflake. He longs to be with Israel, but he, he needs all this protective gear, a temple, a tabernacle, a sanctuary with a, big, with a big curtain and an entire sacrificial system so he doesn't, quote, break out upon them in wrath. Read Isaiah or any other prophets and you'll see it. He's madly in love with Israel and yet he vows to destroy Israel and yet he vows to make her his body and bride. See, see Yahweh needs help. He wants to kiss his children and kill his children all at the same time, he needs help. It's like he's fixing this massive Thanksgiving dinner and you're invited and that's the problem. So um, he is love and he is just all at once. And, and, and you see, that is a problem. That just spells pain. 
And that's why you feel so ambivalent about Thanksgiving dinner. And that's why you're tempted to skip Thanksgiving dinner. That's why you're tempted to skip the great banquet. That's why you're tempted to sin. That's why you're tempted to give up on love and justice. You're tempted to choose between love and justice as if they were two different and opposite things. You're tempted to tolerate or separate. You're tempted to love without justice or you're tempted to justice without love. You're tempted to love some people but give up on the idea that they'll ever love as they have been loved or you're tempted to judge some people and separate your heart from those people. You're tempted to tolerate some and separate from others. You're tempted to excuse some and condemn others and yet forgive none. If you always tolerate and separate, you never forgive. Well, love without justice isn't love. And justice without love isn't justice. In the fifth century AD, and I think this is fascinating to read about in history, some Roman theologians began separating God's love and God's justice as if they were opposite things and not the very same thing. So justice wasn't the fulfillment of love, but the very opposite of love, as if God could be love for some people and the exact opposite of love for other people. Well, love without justice isn't love, and justice without love is diabolical, literally. It's legalism, it's retribution, it's all about laws and making people pay, and that, my friends, is the work of the accuser. You know, when I want justice from my bride, what do I want? When I want justice from my bride or justice from my children, I want love. You see, law describes love, but it's not what I want. I want love. If justice is payment, the payment is love. And and God is love. Justice is love in a place where once upon a time there was no love. Let me say that again. Justice is love in a place where once upon a time there was no love. So a place of eternal separation from love is the exact opposite of justice. Well, like I was saying, God is love. And God is just. He he is not sometimes love, and other times justice. He is all the time both love and justice. God is love and God is just all the time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. God is love. He adores you. He delights in you. God loves you, a sinner. And God is just. He will absolutely uh, obliterate Sin. So, Isaiah 59, 16, his own arm brings him salvation. 
Juan Carlos Ortiz used to explain it this way. As a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. In other words, it's a conversation that God has with himself. An eternal conversation. God the Father is sitting in his living room, staring out at a little planet, the edge of the Milky Way galaxy. And, and he's just, well, he's beside himself, you know. <laughs> That's actually kind of a theological comment. But he's beside himself. He's, 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 he's just in despair when his son Jesus walks in. And he says, Daddy, what's wrong? Oy vey. I think he's Jewish. Oy vey, it's those, it's those people. Do you remember? Do you remember those, those people that we made? Yeah, I remember. What about them? Oh, they're so evil. They're just bad and self-absorbed. I, I think I'm going to have to destroy them. But daddy, I, 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 I thought you did destroy them. Isn't that why you sent the flood? Didn't you send the flood? Uh, I did, but, uh, but what? Why? Well, I, I let one get away. <laughs> you didn't. I, I did. You didn't. Uh, I, I did. Uh, but why did you do that? Oh, Jesus. I love them. I, I want to kiss them and I want to kill them. Should I, should I kiss them or should I kill them? Jesus, they're driving me insane. I don't know what to do. I'm going crazy. I want to kiss them and kill them all at the same time. What should I do? Daddy? Yeah? I have a plan. Well, let's hear it. Okay. Daddy, you can kill me in their place. Hell no! You're the perfect boy. You're the perfect child. No, Daddy, hear me out. I love them too. Remember? I'm you. You're me. I love them too. Just as you. I am you. So I will empty myself, I'll become flesh. I will number myself with the transgressors and I will absorb their sin into my flesh and then you condemn sin, you condemn sin in my flesh. I'll die for them, revealing our love for them. I'll take their sin and you can give them my righteousness and you can raise us all from the, you can raise us all, you can save us, Daddy. You can raise us all from the dead and we'll have the greatest Thanksgiving dinner ever to the praise of our glory in grace. I'll save them and thus save you and we'll save us. God is love, God is just, and God is salvation. In a word, Jesus.
Now, I'm sure that that little drama is inaccurate. And yet, through Isaiah, God did say that his own arm brings him salvation. And in chapter 53 of Isaiah, he's already made it very clear that his strong arm is the suffering servant, the spotless lamb on whom the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all because he has numbered himself with the transgressors and made intercession. Now let's read Isaiah 59 again. The Lord saw that there was no justice and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, salvation and, his, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance as clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. He will repay, not us, him. Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. But I don't think that repay is the best translation of, of the Hebrew, Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is shalom or shalem, both based on another word, shalom. In fact, in the original text, before the vowels were added a thousand years later, the words shalom, shalem, and shalom would have all appeared exactly the same, three consonants in, in, in Hebrew. God's vengeance, you see, is to make shalom. Shalom means to make shalom. God's vengeance is to make peace. Deuteronomy 62.12 reveals that God repays our dead works. He shaloms our sin with hased. That's, that's grace. God repays our sin with grace, making shalom. God's vengeance is to make peace. So let's keep reading. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. This is what Jesus uh, read in the synagogue, Luke uh, 4, saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news, gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, the liberty, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the Lord's grace. That's the year of Jubilee, the Sabbath of the Sabbath, the seventh day, God's rest, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus stopped quoting after the line about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, but not because he didn't believe Isaiah. And not because he wasn't also proclaiming the day of vengeance. They just could not yet understand God's vengeance. In three years, they would see God's vengeance on a cross. Let's keep reading. Isaiah 63. Isaiah has a vision of a great warrior, like a ninja warrior, a great warrior. Last year on the 18th of March, we preached on this. It's a sermon titled uh, Vengeance in a Wine Press. You can get it online. Isaiah calls out to the warrior, who is it? And the great warrior answers, it is I speaking in righteousness or in justice, mighty to save. I have trodden the wine press alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. 
I trod them in my anger. I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood, literally their juice, spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption, that's the year of Jubilee, it had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation. God brings God salvation at a wine press. In the Revelation, we find that the wine press is on the edge of the city where Jesus was crucified and that Jesus is the one who treads this wine press alone, making wine that is blood and blood that is wine. Imagine that. Who'd have ever thought of that? The grapes, according to the Revelation, are the harvest of this earth. I think they are the fruit that befits repentance. I think they are your confessed sins. You know, sin is a horrid thing until you con confess it. I think they are confessed sins that Jesus bears in his body as he's crushed on the cross. Isaiah 53, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. At the cross, you confess your sins, and God in Christ Jesus crushes them, transforming them into grace. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, and grace changes us. That's what does it. The one forgiven much loves much. And that's justice. That's righteousness. That's the fulfillment of the entire law. God's vengeance is to make shalom. No one can fully explain it. Paul said that in Romans 11. No one can fully explain it, and yet we can see it and see that he did it, nailed to a tree in a garden as he lifted his head and cried, it is finished. If he said that in Hebrew, he might very well have said shalom. In other words, I have made shalom. Peace. And the curtain in the sanctuary separating Yahweh from the children of Adam, it ripped from the top to the bottom and the Spirit of God delivered up by Jesus on the cross descended upon the church as tongues of fire. Keep reading. The last two verses of Isaiah, the very best, I think. Isaiah 66, 23 and 24. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh... All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord Yahweh. And all flesh, they, all flesh, shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, literally transgressed against me. Read Isaiah and you'll find that the men who have transgressed against him are all men, including the strong arm of the Lord who has numbered himself with the transgressors and all flesh shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me for their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Now there's no time to explain the undying worm that eats death and turns into a butterfly. And we don't have time to talk about the consuming fire that is the Lord God himself. But if you take scripture seriously at all, this clearly means that one glorious and eternal day, everyone at your Thanksgiving dinner, if they had flesh, he said all flesh, everyone at your Thanksgiving dinner, everyone will walk out to the edge of the new Jerusalem 
where the wine is made, where Jesus is crucified on the cross, they will walk out in new bodies and look down upon their old bodies being destroyed in the valley of Gehenna and cry out, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from delivery, for, de for delivering me from this old dead body of sin into your eternal body of relentless love. Thank you, Father, for your justice. We will all be saved. And God will be saved. For all his children will be justified. They will love as they have been loved. See, justice is not people getting what they deserve. Because people don't deserve anything. They were made from nothing. God made them from nothing. I mean, what could they deserve anything with? Justice is not people getting what they deserve. Justice is God getting what he deserves. And what does he deserve? You. Humanity. Adam. Made in his own image. Remember when the religious people mocked Jesus on the cross? They said, he saved others, but we'll let him save himself. Hmm. Maybe he was saving himself. I mean, God the Son was saving God the Father from the pain of us, the sinful creation. And God the Father was saving God the Son from death, Hebrews 5, 7. He called, Jesus called to God to save him from death, and he did, raising him from the dead and all of us with him. God is the death of sin, death, hell, and even his own wrath. God saves, and when we see him save, we are born from above. God is salvation. And you see, you need to know that. You need to know that like a helmet that you would put on your head. And when you put it on your head, you see, it will change the way you think and make all the difference at Thanksgiving dinner. If I know God is salvation, well, then I know that I am not salvation. I know that I cannot pay, and I don't have to pay because God has already paid. So I don't have to pick love or justice. I don't have to tolerate or separate. I can constantly forgive. I can love everyone and entrust judgment to a faithful creator because I know that his judgment is good. If God is salvation, you can love everyone because God loves everyone. I mean, gosh, he's numbered himself with the transgressors, those people at your Thanksgiving dinner. You can love everyone and you don't have to judge anyone. <laughs> See, I think that's why Thanksgiving dinner is just so freaking painful. Because you love those people. 
Because you love those people, you want to fix those people. That is, justify those people. That is, make those people righteous. Because you love those people, you want to save those people, which means you are usually really frustrated with those people, hurt by those people, and angry at those people, and then angry at yourself because you want to kiss those people and kill those people, and you are one of those people. And so you'd rather just not to go to dinner with those people. who you love or used to love. You see, if you think you have to save those people, you won't love those people. If you think you have to save those people, you won't testify to those people that God is salvation. Instead, with your anxiety, your anger, your fear, your manipulation, you'll testify that God is not salvation and you will do the work of the devil for him. If I don't believe vengeance is God's, he will repay. Well, I'll believe vengeance is mine and I'll start to repay and do the work of the devil for him. If I don't believe God is salvation, I'll believe I am salvation and I'll try to save myself from God. I'll try to save myself from God when salvation is to be with God. Think about that. Save from God when God is salvation. That's diabolical. Who would suggest such a thing? If I believe I am salvation, I'll try to save myself from God. I'll try to save others from God. I'll even try to save God from God. I mean, isn't that what we religious people do? How insanely evil and, and, and arrogant is that? We, we think I better save the world because either God doesn't love the world or God can't save the world. God cannot, so I better. I better save God from God. You know, if you think about it, I think that's why the religious folks crucified Jesus. They were trying to save God from God. I mean, he was just acting so incredibly irresponsible. He was going around eating with tax collectors and sinners, hookers. He was going around eating with them as if he was not at all worried about their salvation, as if their salvation was assured. Well, anyway, I, I can't save, but God is salvation. And when I know that, when I know him, then check this out. He uses me to do some saving. When I know that I am not salvation, he uses me to do some saving. I'm his body, and he is my head, kephali. He himself is my helmet, parakephalion in Greek. He's about the head. When, when I believe God is salvation, I become the very body of God is salvation still in this world. The body of God is salvation. In a word, Jesus, the great warrior, and I enjoy eating with tax collectors and sinners. Maybe that's how the great warrior goes to war. He enjoys eating with tax collectors and sinners. Hey, why do you think the tax collectors and sinners 
wanted to party with Jesus, wanted to dine with Jesus. Wasn't it because he enjoyed them? Or did you think it was because he threatened them saying, dine with me or I'll fry you in hell? No, he didn't say that. And yet, there were people that Jesus warned about utter darkness. They were the people that didn't want to come to dinner. They were people that thought they were their own salvation. People that did not want what was being served. Well, how do you like to picture Jesus? I, I like to picture the baby Jesus. Christmas time, I like that baby God. I like, I like to picture the baby Jesus. And I like to picture him as a ninja warrior. I mean, a great warrior. That's what Paul's doing right here in Ephesians. A great warrior who uh, accomplishes justice. And, and, and this is really true. I like to picture him as like lead singer in Leonard Skinner. Leonard Skinner is my favorite band. And, and I know, I know Jesus likes to party. And you see, that all kind of makes sense when I picture Jesus like this. And this is how he asked us to picture him. Sitting at a table with the 12, picture of Israel, with Thomas and Peter and Judas. And he takes the bread and breaks it. And having given thanks, he says, this is my body. Take it, eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Remember this. And in the same way, after supper, he, he took the cup and having given thanks, he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. God is love, and God is justice. God is salvation. In fact, that's what he's serving for dinner. So come to dinner and give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. His day, his day is marching on, and uh, this day is marching on, and we're almost to the end of Ephesians, and we've talked about uh, the armor, we've talked about the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, all of those things are basically defensive uh, pieces of equipment. Next week, we'll talk about the last piece, and it's offensive, the, the word of truth. And uh, the word is an incredibly big concept. Um, we think it's weak, but it is so powerful that it created all things that are, spoken by Yahweh himself. 
And the word is a name, and, and the name in Hebrew means God is salvation. In the name of Jesus, believe the gospel. Amen.